Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at It Follows, a horror feature from all the way back in 2014. Fantastic way to slide into October. In my opinion, I'd never seen it. Andy's a big fan. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Stick around for the It Follows review. It's good stuff. We're also going to talk about No One Will Save You, this uh, itty-bitty indie horror that came out just a few weeks ago on Hulu. Got a ton of praise, which I think nobody expected. Stephen King tweeted about it. Guillermo del Toro, he praise on it. So Andy and I checked it out. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about Aquaman 2 and just a little bit of drama that might have dropped this morning. If you're on film Twitter <laughs> or just keep up with film at all, I'm sure you're your algorithm has thrown you uh, some stuff about Jason Momoa being hammered on set and Amber Heard having a terrible time. Uh, we get the details. We're going to talk about all of it in our Death of Cinema segment. Before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Andy Taylor Swift is going to put out like the highest grossing film of the year, I think. <laughs> and I don't I don't know if box offices are ready for it. Uh, apparently, tickets for Taylor's uh, Eros Tour film tour has surpassed over $100 million in advanced ticket sales. That's advance. That's sold ahead of time. That's not how movies work normally. Like, this is insane. Yeah, it, it's nuts. And, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of saving the fall movie-going slate. But at the same time, none of the studios are getting any money from this. It's because of the strike. And Taylor Swift, uh, her, her representatives worked out a deal directly with the distributors at AMC and the other chains. So the studios have just been left out in the cold, but this is massive. Um, although I did see something today saying they don't think it's going to have a lot of staying power. So they, they think that, you know, while there's already a hundred million in pre-sales, they think it'll kind of peter out around 250, maybe 300 million, but we'll see. I, I think this will have a lot of staying power. I think there's people that will go kind of like Barbie. will just keep going back for, you know, two or three more showings. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, I think it's going to have more staying power than they predict. Yeah, because I think people are going to go back. One, it's long. It's a long feature. I think it's like three hours, right? Like, it's almost it's the, just shy of it. Yeah, it's the whole concert. And this is like a concert tour that already is sold out around the country. Like, tickets are going for insane prices. So being able to see that basically in full, in HD, with sweeping camera views, like, it, it's not cutting music. Like, I, I think it's supposed to all be there. So as far as I'm concerned... I would expect those sales to perpetuate a bit like the concert has, but nobody knows for sure. Nobody certainly expected numbers like this, uh, and, and I, I think AMC's really excited about it. They've already announced they've got uh, Beyonce uh, has a Renaissance uh, film coming out uh, that's going to be just in this format. They're already working with other artists. They are very excited to be able to hang on, uh, hang on to this this kite, right? Grab it by the tail and fly away. Uh, of course, also Taylor Swift. Swift fans are stoked. Uh, AMC is reporting that they are not going to be telling people to be quiet in their theaters. They want you to get up and sing and dance. So don't go to AMC the week this comes out because yeah, you don't want to be in the theater see next to this. Else. Yeah. God, it's going to be like a sound grenade in there. But obviously, huge. Um, what does this mean for concert movies in the future? Because this is the biggest one ever. Nothing's ever done numbers like this. Yeah, well, we're already seeing a big copycat happened with, uh, like you said, Beyonce's is now going to do a concert film uh, called Renaissance, which comes out December 1st. It looks like these things are kind of easy to put together or they can put the, put it together pretty quickly um, because that was just announced like a few weeks after the, the Eras tour 
um, concert film is. So I think we're definitely going to see more of things like this from big artists. But it, it's kind of troubling that this is what's getting people in seat and the actual movies are not. Because October has been a struggle. Like all the new releases, struggling. The creator, struggling. Saw, Saw X, Saw 10. Um, we're going to talk about Exorcist Believer here in a second. Like, And it's not looking good. And like I said, everything got out of the way. There, there are no new film releases this week because everyone was getting out of Taylor Swift's way. I am a little concerned about how this might tilt the scale, like as far as like proper film releases go, because concert films suddenly having a big boom uh, is an exciting thing for an industry that's very hungry for to make money, right? Like AMC is so stoked that they're attached to this. Cinemark's bummed that they are not getting a piece. I mean, they are in like you know ticket returns, but like AMC fundamentally produced this, so they are getting the lion's share uh, as far as distribution is concerned. Uh, one thing's for sure. It is going to be really funny if this movie does great, which it seems like it's gonna. Beyonce's movie does really well, which it seems like it's gonna. And then we're going to get like the slow trickle of slowly like worse and worse artists down the line as these movies continue to make less money until it peters out. Kind of like uh, uh, Aerosmith doing Guitar Hero. And then they did like Beatles rock band, right? Like, I think it's going to perpetuate <laughs> for a while, but then it's going to get sad and like just going to start making less money and soon they'll just be fathom events again. That's that's my hot prediction. And I know we're not really in the prediction game here on off script, but I just don't see this lasting. But for now, it is going to be an incredibly bright burn and I'm really excited to see what it does for the box office and what it does for movies. Like I, People going to a movie theater is not a bad thing. Even if it's for a concert, I'm a fan. I, I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, it, it must be really interesting if you work in in this industry and like, because Thursday, I think probably Thursday night previews are when it starts, and then Friday, and like you're watching those numbers, like when the morning news drops, you're you're trying to see how many, you know, how many, what are the numbers like on Thursday morning, on fr- Friday morning, and then of course Saturday morning is kind of the big predictor. Um, I think it's going to be huge. I mean, they're talking about probably like 150 million dollar opening, uh, which is just nuts. Yeah, uh, keep it on off script for more. We will totally be covering this. I don't think we're going to watch it just because Andy and I are not particularly Swifties, but mad respect. It's also not a movie. Uh, it's not also, movie. oh, all right. Okay, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> it's Anything can be film, Andy. Anything can be film. Uh, no, I, I, I respect that opinion. Uh, speaking of things uh, from the past, coming back to the future, that's the worst segue I think I've ever done on this show. Uh, George Miller's Furiosa. Eyes of Can 2024 premiere nine years after Fury Road wowed the fest. Yes, the sequel to Fury Road is nigh upon us, and we're very excited to see it. Uh, Andy, what do you know about this? Man, I just about lost my mind when I saw this headline. Uh, I love Mad Max Fury Road. It was my second favorite film of the the 2021-teens decade love this movie and been really excited for this prequel to uh fury road um that is coming out and so can if if you don't know is in may so may 2024 we will get to return to the world of mad max and see this and of course uh anya taylor joy is going to be playing young furiosa we have no details on uh you know story or we haven't seen anything no posters nothing but but you know if you if it comes out uh if if it's premiering in may we're gonna start seeing stills and posters kind of in the spring so it's a pretty exciting time and i can't believe we're you know less than nine months away uh from a new fury road 
Yeah, B- uh, Miller blew up on the scene with Fury Road in 2015. Uh, if you didn't see it, it was a quite a large deal. Uh, people were really into it. And uh, since then, he's done 3,000 Years of Longing in 2022. We covered that on this show. Um, we also covered Fury Road, the black and white or black and chrome edition. But uh, notably, the production of Fury Road was very, very messy. Uh, there's a book about it called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome. It was kind of a nightmare the way that movie came together. And nobody thought that George Miller, who had originally done Mad Max and Beyond Thunderdome and obviously done that a long time ago, uh, I don't think anybody really thought he had the gumption to produce what Fury Road would end up being, this like visceral uh, action feature road movie. Um, so I think people are very interested in what Furiosa is going to be, if anything, because 3000 years of longing was also not what people expected and was very imaginative and very thoughtful. We kind of liked it on the show, but I think it's divisive. So whatever this is going to be, uh, people are stoked for it. It's also going to start Chris Hemsworth in a villain role, according to variety. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's Joy not as Furiosa. I, I don't think he's a Morton Joe. But he's no. he's a different villain. But uh, no, I mean, we, I mean, no. Yeah, we will be getting a young Immortan Joe though in in the film, I believe. Notably Aussie, I know. So I mean, at least he at least he fits in the world of Mad Max, right? The Australian uh, hellscape of yeah. the, of the desert with no water. Uh, I mean, I think you said it great. We're looking forward to it. That's kind of, that's kind of the bit. I don't know. Hopefully, we find out more, and we'll be reporting on it here. Any other thoughts on Furiosa? Other than I'm just like stoked to see anything from it. Like I can't wait to see what like Anya Taylor Joy looks like. Like when you know when we finally get some stills and some behind the scenes photos. Um, yeah, it's gonna be great. We don't often skip films uh, on off script. We try to catch a little bit of everything that comes out. But one that we missed uh, just recently was The Exorcist Believer. Right, uh, the new Exorcist film. Uh, Andy infamously said, oops, it's double trouble <laughs> in the new Exorcist <laughs> movie. Uh, and and turns out he might have been onto something. Uh, this movie is underperforming significantly. Uh, just how bad is it, Andy? Uh, it turns out Exorcist Believer may not be the bang everybody thought. Well, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So it opened to 27 million domestically, 45 million worldwide. That would be a respectable number. It only cost $30 million to make. So... It, it's a good for that. The only problem <laughs> is that Universal paid $400 million for the rights uh, for, to buy it from uh, Morgan Creek uh, Productions. And that's the part that they're going to have to make up. So that means, th- and this was supposed to be part of a trilogy. So that means that each film needs to make like $200, $300 million to, to be worth it. And uh, this is not going to be anywhere close. In fact, it's already been announced that this is going to digital release on October 24th. Like the minimum that it can be in theaters before going to digital 17 days. Uh, you're talking about being released and going to streaming in the same month. That is terrible. Right. A, a skeptic would say, Oh, they're just trying to get out in front of Halloween. But like, no, it, it really is indicative of just how bad this is. Uh, it's sequel has already been announced. The exorcist deceiver, uh, which is funny to think about because you could see how this one did. It seems like a sequel is not coming, but you don't buy the rights to three movies for $400 million and not end up making them right. Not unless you're some giant studio with deep, deep pockets like Disney. And while Bloomhouse obviously has been invested in a number of franchise horror projects, uh, we're gonna have to wait and see what happens with this one. Um, it's uh, 
<laughs> you know, why, why do you think it's doing poorly, Andy? Outside of what we haven't seen, which is maybe a poor script or uh, I mean, why is just nobody stoked for an Exorcist movie? Nobody cares. So Red Letter Media has they put out a review of this 45 minutes, uh, which I did watch. And it has the same problem that a lot of the other Exorcist sequels and properties have done is that they kind of miss the point of the original. Like the original is exploring themes of, of faith, loss of faith, um, kind kind of coming of age, a number of like pretty profound things. And the all the stuff we know the Exorcist for, all the famous scenes, the pea soup, the the swearing, the spider walk, that the 360 head turn. All of those things that, that people just focus on that. And apparently that's what this um, movie does is it, it focuses on like the kind of action for lack of a better term. It's missing like the point of that original movie. And also apparently it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where it's trying to be very inclusive, like religious wise. And it's trying to include like all these different religions in in the plot uh strangely to i guess have massive appeal but i mean the kind of the whole point of the exorcist is that it's kind of a thing of the catholic church and so if you try to incorporate a bunch of other religions it's but yeah I, i've just heard it's kind of boring it doesn't work there's a bunch of uh plot things that are just there so you, you can essentially have gross out moments um yeah i've just heard it's really bad yeah, double the possession, half the fun is what New York Times said of uh, the Exorcist <laughs> believer. Uh, one more, one more light Brutal. note of this before I know. One more light note of this before we move on to No One Will Save You. Uh, I wanted to say that Ellen Burstein, Ber- Bernstein, uh, Burstein, Burstein, uh, Burstein, uh, who appears in this film, uh, she reportedly is donating like her whole salary to I think the strike or some kind of charity I don't even remember but apparently that's the only reason she jumped into this movie she she told them no I'm not doing an exorcist movie I'm too old I would need an absurd sum of money and they totally paid it so she donated the whole thing um I hope I hope that's true that's what I had read shout out to Ellen Burstyn like a real one good for her uh something good coming out of this right but uh for now we need to shift gears into something a little bit different uh so this is a a film we heard about uh andy and i did not really see it coming it was a straight to streaming film normally we're more focused on theatrical here um but i'm excited to talk about this because it's october and it's spooky season what better time to talk about new horror uh, than with hulu's no one will save you so no one will save you is the story of Bryn Adams, I believe is her last name, uh, who's an exiled, uh, anxiety-ridden homebody uh, in her small town. Uh, She lives alone. Uh, She doesn't really go into town except for groceries. Uh, She doesn't talk to anybody. She's a very quiet person. In fact, No One Will Save You is a very quiet film. Uh, There's no dialogue. There's none. I mean, let me rephrase that. There's a little in the background. You might hear a radio there's or like something five, every once in a while. There's like five lines. Yeah, there, there's, 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 no, there's no dialogue. But in this feature of no dialogue, what you do have is a woman who lives alone who discovers uh, one night when something goes bump that not is all right in her house. And she ultimately discovers that there is a creature that's uh, come from the sky, an alien of sorts, uh, that is in the house with her, and she has to use her wits and her, her her guile to figure out how to get out of there as quickly and as quietly as possible, because as the title says, no one will save her. Uh, the movie is on Hulu. Andy, what did you think of No One Will Save You? You know, I didn't have to pay for, pay to see this, but 
I want to go find Stephen King and get my money back or my time back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so S- S- Stephen King and a couple of other people were raving about this movie, talking about, oh, it's really original, really captivating. And Stephen King, King, King compared really... it to a Twilight Zone episode called The Invaders from 1961. He was like, it's incredible. Yeah. But we, we just heard some celebrity buzz about this movie and we're like, oh man, we got to check this out. And I'm just like, okay, Hulu wrote him a check. Someone wrote this bad a check because uh, I was not into this movie at all. The the lack of dialogue really made it hard to pay attention. I thought it was really boring. Th- there were some nice, I think, cinematography things, filmmaking things, which are interesting. But I was just kind of bored to tears. Um, and I think that the performances are good. Caitlin Deaver has to like carry the entire film by herself and just the, and the story is told through just visuals no dialogue but man i i just could not get on board with it so i'm kind of in a similar boat i, I do want to talk about what works because there are some good elements here and i think there's a reason it's getting buzz i don't know if anybody got a check from hulu but i admittedly also did fall for you know the 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 <laughs> the, the, the hype and was like wow gamer del toro Never says again. this is great <laughs> king says this is great and for what it's worth like i do think no one will save you is very much like an episodic horror feature it's like an episode of the twilight zone right it's like an episode of black mirror like it feels very closed off it feels very unique its world feels very niche and brian duffield the director does a lot of work to make it visually distinct tons of camera resets my god this man resets the camera for everything nearly everything's on a tripod nearly everything's locked down like everything is very thoughtful in the presentation of Bryn and her house and her emotions and her feelings um, but like, boy, yeah, right around like the 30 minute mark, I started to check out a little just because I felt like I wasn't grounded and I didn't really understand my character's motivations. They just have no voice for themselves other than what's visually there. And Caitlin Deaver does a great job, but it just, it isn't enough to really carry my interest. And I think the advantage of a format like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror in being episodic is it's just a little shorter 90 minutes of not nothing is, as far as dialogue goes is is rough and it's visual and it's tense when it needs to be and that stuff works good but i just had trouble staying tuned in and that was kind of my big problem with it andy you felt a little bit harsher i think right it's uh what do you got yeah, yeah but i'll i'll try to stay positive because there are I, th- I think there are some redeeming qualities it was just th- the overall idea just doesn't work for me the lack of, of dialogue um it was like watching a quiet place but a lot less interesting because at least there is occasional dialogue and big action um so starting with, with the story that part of it is i i couldn't get into the main story i was much more interested in the b plot so the main a plot is this what is essentially an alien alien invasion home invasion film. Um, and then there's the B plot of why is she an exiled person in her community? Like there, there's hints of things that happened long ago. Like no one will talk to her. No one smiles at her. Like she is shunned. Um, that was a much more interesting part of the movie for me. I, I wanted to know more about that. And we do get a little bit more of that development, but I was much more interested in that than I was the kind of alien invasion side side of it uh and again i I, it's just the lack of dialogue so just putting that aside that that doesn't work for me i I do think it had some good elements going for it it just needed more 
Yeah, I think it's an idea that works better on paper, um, which is fitting because Duffield is a writer, first and foremost, who's written some decent features. Uh, he worked on the Divergent series. He wrote Jane Got a Gun uh, with, who was that, Natalie Portman. Uh, Underwater, which came out in 2020, that got sold to Disney through the 20th Century Fox merger, starring Kristen Stewart and uh, TJ Miller, if you remember him. We saw that for the show. Not a bad feature. He worked on the Babysitter horror films, uh, and he did direct one movie before this, a rom-com called Spontaneous, which he also wrote. Uh, he's a writer before he's a director, and in that way, I think this fits in with exactly the kind of stuff he's written, right? It's a bit supernatural, might have some kind of monster, horror elements, like these things I'll check out, sci-fi even. And for direction, like it's a really solid swing at it, but it just gets clunky. Like anytime uh, Bryn interacts with another person, which happens a few times in the film, it there's no explanation why they wouldn't speak. Like it just feels out of place and wrong. And it just like it, it just feels forced and contrived to fit the formula here. I think it would have been tighter if she doesn't ever leave the house. But she does. She goes into town. She gets groceries during the film. Like she runs errands. Like, and that's fine. But it just starts to feel a little forced. Now, when she's at home and she's alone and there's something in the house with her, that fits. That totally tracks. I get that. But the moments that aren't filling that just feel a little dry. And they're supposed to be the moments where you breathe, right, in a horror film. you got to have that back and forth where it's intense, it's really intense, then it backs off, give your audience a chance to reset. Those moments are the moments where you're going to want to get your phone out. Those are going to be the bits where you're like, I'm going to get up and get a snack. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And that just keeps you disconnected. As a streaming feature, I think it works great in the space. Had this been theatrical, I think it would have underperformed. And it. I think Hulu it put it in the right place where it needs to be, especially considering Celebrity Buzz. I mean, my God, this movie's gotten some attention. Yeah, and I think part of what doesn't work for me is you get a, it gets very repetitive where there is like something chasing her. And she has to, she like barely gets away. And then we do that sequence several times throughout her house. Like, oh, it's chasing her upstairs. She has to jump out the window or she's downstairs. And like, it just kind of keeps changing location, but it's the same bit over and over and over. And it's just like, and because there's no dialogue, you kind of feel like you don't have to pay attention. Like, just look up when there's like loud, when the movie gets louder. <laughs> right. I mean, you do pay attention, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't keep you as grounded. Like you really just aren't as interested because your brain just kind of glosses over what you're seeing. It's actually like the inverse for me of like this, this, uh, trick that people have discovered on, on TikTok to get more views. Uh, if you have crappy video, use good audio and it'll like fool your brain. That's why you see a lot of people holding up like headphone earbuds, like and talking into the little microphone there. Cause the audio is so much cleaner that when you're watching it, you will stay tuned in because you can clearly understand the person who's talking to you. And it's like subtitles for your mind. You don't have any of that with no one will save you. And in that way, like it's, it's almost more experimental than it is like traditional feature. And I think that's why it's inspired some of the more experimental creators out there, right? Like Guillermo del Toro, an acclaimed monster movie director. Like, obviously, he loves the Alien 7 here. Stephen King likes odd horror, of course. He's written it for years. He changed the game. Like, of course he's into it. I can totally get those people endorsing it. But I think, like, that should probably come with a bit of caveat that it's, like, particularly niche. Like, this movie is is definitely different in a way that I think people will either be into or won't be into. If somebody asked me about this at a house party, they'd say, hey, I, I watched No One Will Save You. I'd say, what'd you think? And I feel like they'd almost everyone would go, eh. 
eh, it's it's all right, <laughs> yeah. you know. And like that's kind of a shame for what I thought was like really glowing praise. Maybe maybe we were too hyped, Andy. Maybe we were too into it. I think that I think that's definitely part of it. But also, I mean, there was just so much buzz. There there were the like you said, uh, Del Toro and Stephen King were raving about this. There was just lots of other buzz. Looked like it was like something really special. But it's and sometimes you know a streaming movie can be that. We watched uh, a movie called Run a couple of years ago that was a straight to streaming feature. Uh, that was really, really exciting and kind of a smaller, almost Twilight Zone level episode kind of thing. And it was great. Uh, this one, not, not quite so so much. So, yeah, I think we were definitely uh, overhyped for it. Yeah, I do think it's an honorable, I mean, like honorable mention. I think Brian Duffield's obviously going to get more directing work. I know he's got another project uh, on IMDb upcoming. Clearly, he'll continue writing. Like, I, I don't think the issues in his scripts, if anything, I think this one is just a really big dream and a really bold, like, first real outing for a director. I know he's already had one feature, but it clearly didn't get that much attention, not nearly as much as this has. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I had more to say about it. I feel like it's a short review. The music in it is fine. The action in it is fine. The suspense in it is pretty good, you know. But it comes, you know, later in the feature, like any horror feature does. And, like, it takes a while to get there. And it just, I don't know. It, it, it grates on me, like nails on a quiet chalkboard, I guess. Any other thoughts on this one for recommendations, Andy? I'm ready. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend No One Will Save You? I'm going to say a pass on, on this. Even though it's straight to streaming, and if you already have Hulu, it's available... But I, I just could not get into it. The lack of dialogue uh, just made it really kind of painful to sit through. It's too. It's not very long. It's only ninety minutes, but it just felt slow in a lot of places. Uh, it gets really repetitive with which, with some of these chase scenes that seem to kind of just happen over and over. Um, Caitlin Caitlin Deaver does do a great great job. She's always finding everything she's in. So she she is a highlight, and I think there's some interesting uh, cinematography that we get to see, but, um, it's like you said, it, it's, it's like a TV episode that is just too long. Yeah. Like it, it recommending, it would be like recommending a B plus, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I guess, you know, um, if you're into experimental, you want something different. If you're like, I want, I want an odd horror feature to watch, like give it a go. You, you might really like it. Like clearly it's got its fans. Um, but no one will save you. Just didn't quite do it for me. Didn't, didn't, didn't quite hold my interest the way I think it intended to. And, and without, you know, without really a script to comment on, without a lot of kind of the nuances of a more traditional feature, um, that might be its biggest offense, you know, missing, missing that mark because it's cl so clearly trying to hit it. Um, yeah, I, check it out if you're interested, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd recommend it. I, I think I'd probably say being October, you go look for maybe an older horror feature, maybe something 2014. Something really exciting that your co-host on a podcast <laughs> recommends that we're going to talk about in just a minute with It Follows. Before we get to that, we need to talk about uh, our middle segment here, some drama from the set of a new, exciting Warner Brothers feature. Andy, what do we call this segment? It's time for the death of cinema. So today we're talking about some news bombshells that just dropped we're not a gossip channel but we're, there's gonna be a little bit of that in in uh wound up with some movie news a uh, big article came out today from from variety 
Um, tons of drama on the set of Aquaman 2 between uh, Jason Momoa and Amber Heard. Specifically, a lot of things about her. Um, geez, <laughs> where where to start? So uh, one of the, the things is that uh, uh, Heard claimed that they were trying, like Jason Momoa was trying to get, get her fired from the set. Um, they, they didn't get along. She, she claims that a lot of her scenes were cut. Uh, just real uh, kind of ugly stuff. Apparently, Elon Musk got involved at some point, sent like uh, letters of you know legal threats to to sue them into the ground if they didn't let Hurd in into the sequel. Just a lot of really bizarre stuff. Uh, Zach, what are your some of your initial thoughts here? So it's funny where all of this came from. I, I want to give a huge shout out to Variety for this lead line. These waters are getting choppy, um, which is <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so all of this comes from uh, leaked, really, I guess public, uh, court documents from the Depp and Amber Heard trial. Uh, most of what's here comes from an image of uh, Amber Heard's therapist's legal pad Dr. Dawn Hughes, apparently she'd scribbled all this down from sessions uh, that she did with Heard, and here we are. So you're getting like a direct dump of Amber Heard's like therapy stuff, which is wrong, and we shouldn't be reading. Like that's not good, and uh, like that's that's bad. Uh, but boy, some of these comments are are so film film oriented oriented. Like you can't. You can't help but want to engage with them, right? Like it, it, it's, it's almost too good. First off, the drama between her and Johnny Depp. Obviously, bad stuff, right? We've covered it on the show in the past. It's probably not worth revisiting. Uh, her opinion on Jason Momoa, the star of the film, and whether or not he was showing up intoxicated on set or dressed like her ex. Which, as a brief aside, Andy and I were talking about this before the show starts. Jason Momoa and Johnny Depp basically dress the same. They do this like weird bohemian look with scarves and hats and rings on their hands and stuff. So that is a bummer that she felt like he looked similar. But what are you going to do? Right? Like that's just that's just how the man dresses. He's dressed like that in Fast X for God's sake. Uh, Elon Musk gets involved reportedly with a letter to Warner Brothers. Insane things happening here insane and all of it of course is landing on dc the studio that barely got the flash out the door because ezra miller's like a confirmed criminal oh my god it's so it's so funny and terrible of course but you know it can be both tragedy and comedy right like it's it can be sad and funny right so we, we have you know this the gossip stuff going on but then there's some real movie news to be had here namely uh, Aquaman is supposed to come out in a couple months. It's a big December release. It is the last film of the old Walter Hamada DCEU slate of films inherited by uh, James Gunn. And it, like, you know, he inherited four films. You got to promote them. You got to put them out. This is part of that. Um, it looks like it might do okay. Uh, reminder, uh, the first Aquaman is DC's highest grossing movie like ever like over a billion dollars which is nuts like more than batman more than superman like i don't know what wh how but it is and this one looks like it's on track to do about well we don't really know it could have legs it, it could die on on the vine i wouldn't be surprised i was actually a little bit excited by uh the trailer some of the bigger news out of this though is that uh it was revealed that none of the heroes from previous 
DCEU, so Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, none of those actors will be returning in into the new DC universe. So Henry Cavill's out. We already kind of knew that, but there were rumors that Ben Affleck might return. He's out. Gal Gadot, she was told that there she might come back. She's out. Ezra Miller, definitely out. Um, so it looks like they're really trying to clean house and really trying to start fresh, which I think is a really smart idea if you want to build a new universe. They are keeping some some people like um, Viola Davis's Amanda Waller is a great character and uh, John Cena's Peacemaker, which is a character everyone kind of loves, and his show has been good. So they are keeping some minor characters, but the big heroes, we're going to have all new uh, versions of that. Zach, what do, what do you think about, about this, about uh, all these people not returning? yesterday's justice league yeah throw throwing them out with the trash i think it's funny and i think it's <laughs> funny that like the only characters really sticking around are anybody who's really directly engaged in james gunn's work uh, like peacemaker if you weren't in that get the hell out you know what i mean we don't need you uh gun is guns going scorched earth on this place and it's great and also worth mentioning like matt reeves is the batman is still happening. Uh, Joker 2 is still happening with Todd Phillips. So yeah, it's not just James Gunn for, for what it's worth. Um, but it's a bummer, right? I, I don't know how this movie ended up doing so well. I don't know if there's any Entourage fans out there, but you might remember when Vinny Chase landed uh, the role of Aquaman and James Cameron's new Aquaman feature in the show Entourage. I think it's like season five or six. And like everybody in that show thinks it's going to be junk. Like the suit is junk. The CGI is junk. They're like, this is going to ruin your career. And then it comes out and it's a huge deal. Life imitates art. That's basically what happened. Like Aquaman came out and here we are. Like, my God, it's still happening. But now Aquaman 2 is like limping over the finish line. And there's drama. And Amber Heard says she was written out. And she blames the director, James Wan, for part of it. Uh, the, like, the, only, the only thing I, I think in here that's like genuinely credible but, that I think I can really point a finger at besides her saying her and er, Johnny Depp and... and Jason Momoa dress alike is when she said that she felt like she was uh, on like media blackout around the project. Right. She was like, they told me I can't take photos on the set. I can't do interviews. That bit checks out because they did the exact same thing for Ezra Miller. He did no media for the flash. He, he barely came to the premiere. There's like four photos on him and then they ushered him inside. He didn't talk to any press. They very much are aware that they are like Warner Brothers is a studio that is aware that if they have a creator who's divisive, they would rather encourage them from the backseat like than you know, put them up front. They do this J.K. Rowling, right? Like she wasn't at the wonderful world of Harry Potter uh, reunited thing where all the, ca- the stars and cast and crew came out for the HBO special. Like she didn't show up for that. Why? Because she's divisive. So like her being blacked out, her feeling like people are against her, like I can't help but feel like those probably seem like natural reactions to a world that feels really, you know, what effacive. And and since then she's backed out, right? She she moved to, God, I don't remember where the Maldives or something. And she's like chilling out and taking a break from acting, and that's probably great from her because for because from what I understand, she's not in much of Aquaman anyway. Um, it's it's kind of an ugly bummer, man. Like I'm telling you, Warner Brothers is is making weird moves over there, and I can appreciate somebody like Variety can report on it when they're able. We were saying this last year because it was it was about this time that it was announced that James Gunn was going to be taking over the DCEU, and we're like, oh, that's really cool. He's a great creative mind. Like he did Guardians, did the Peacemaker show. Like he knows how to do 
superhero stuff well, but he's also got to he's got to deliver four kind of mediocre films, and it just it's going to be an awkward year. Um, and it and it has been, but uh, Aquaman two could be successful. Uh, one of the things that note that's noted in the article though is that uh, Aqua the first Aquaman made a lot of money from the Chinese box office, and that. It's it's almost like that's a time gone by now. Like no one is really making money out out of uh, the Chinese audience anymore. Uh, even big hits like Barbie and Oppenheimer didn't do near as much money as films past the past. Uh, uh, the first Aquaman made three hundred million from China alone, and like nothing is made even close to that in recent years. That kind of market has really shifted. Uh, so we're gonna see what what the numbers are. The other big piece of news in this story that that's actual real film news is that it seems like Warner Brothers might possibly be sold to a larger studio, possibly Universal, which would be hilarious because that's where uh, Chris Nolan is <laughs> these days. But it, uh, if not them, another entity might might buy Warner Brothers, which I feel like they get bought and sold quite, quite a bit, so it wouldn't be surprising. I, I feel like I would be a little surprised. Like, I know they're down bad for DC where they're at, but still Warner Brothers has a lot going on, especially considering uh, the prevalence of Max, right? Mostly due to HBO's success. Like, their success in television is nigh unmatched. I mean, they're, dude, their Sunday slate for the first half of 2023 was insane. Every single Sunday they had a banger on television. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It would it would be yeah, it sounds weird to me that they would be sold at this stage, but you're right. Like Warner Brothers has been bought and sold a few times. Would not be the strangest thing out there. And if anything, I'm sure Chris Nolan would be excited that he once again was ahead of the curve, but pred- predicted before anybody else, right? Bold bold predictor of cinema that he would just head mosey on over to Universal before Warner Brothers drags themselves by. Uh it's a weird story, Aquaman 2. I don't think it'll do that good. I, I, I'm hearing test test screenings have not been that outstanding, and then they did reshoots in 2022. And notably, Jason Momoa blocked Amber Heard on Instagram. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's yeah, it's really something. A little bit of drama hilarious on the set. That's, that's part of the part of that. It's so funny that that's part of the news story is that oh yeah they unfollowed each other on instagram it's ridiculous all right with that we should move into our final review of the episode i excited to talk about this one bit different bit offbeat andy suggested it. he's gonna be taking the summary andy please uh, take it away it follows so we're going back to this film from 2014 uh directed and written by david robert mitchell big hit when it came out a lot of buzz uh, about new kind of more this is part of what what brought on the term elevated horror um real interesting film he's only done uh one other movie after this which is uh under the silver like really kind of bizarre follow-up um but anyways it follows is the story of jay a young woman in her kind of late late teens in in a kind of ambiguous uh, setting, we'll talk more about setting a little bit later, uh, but Jay is out on, on a date with new boyfriend Hugh. Uh, things are going well. They go to the movies. They go to the, the park. Uh, they, they get along fabulously, eventually have relations. Um, when Hugh reveals that he has uh, actually given her uh, a curse via, via having sex, and uh, this curse is something is coming after you, something is, you know, it follows and uh, is coming to kill you, and you can outrun it. It's not fast. It is at walking speed, but it is always c- 
coming after you and it might look like someone you know or someone you don't know. You can't really tell them apart from other people. And so the rest of the story follows Jay and her friends and family trying to figure out how to uh, defeat the, this evil, this entity um, that very just creepily goes towards you and at a slow pace, but you never know if they're, you know, who it is could be, could be anyone. Um, there's a lot of fun horror movie, quick hundred minutes, really interesting setting that we'll get into. So Zach, what'd you think? So I had heard about It Follows when it came out in 2014, but I didn't see it because people just said it was good. It was an indie feature and it was different. It was good. It was fine, right? And you hear about a dozen movies over the course of your two dozen movies that you hear are good, but you don't end up seeing. So it was surprising to me when out of the woodwork, probably a couple years ago, uh, Andy discovered I hadn't seen It Follows. I was like, oh man, we got to watch that for the show. So this October, right? Spooky season. I was like, hey, we should work in some horror movies. He said, we should watch It Follows. We should, we should check it out. It'll be great. Uh, boy, I'm glad I did. This movie's really fun. This movie's super fun. And we had covered Under the Silver Lake when it came out uh, on the show, which was really weird, uh, but a film that is very good at making you feel out of place and kind of uncanny. And It Follows has that same energy. And it is baffling to me that David Robert Mitchell has not done anything else. He's just done those two films, really. He had a couple other shorts before then. He's done some writing. Um, he's not working on anything else. I, he does have a predicted project on IMDb, but it's unconfirmed. Um, this movie's super interesting and makes you feel weird and out of place. And it, it's very fitting with a, a character who's becoming increasingly isolated by what is fundamentally a very good movie curse, right? It's a good curse movie. You find out the rules as you go. It gets progressively more complicated. You got a, a big finishing act. Uh, it follows rocks, man, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Great recommend for the show, so thanks. All right, yeah, yeah, really glad we finally got around to seeing this. Uh, let's start with our, our setting, because I think this is one of the interesting things. Uh, this movie definitely takes on a lot of the the tropes that came before it. You know, it's, an, it's a nod to Halloween, the slashers of the 80s, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's definitely inv invoking those, but it, it's not copying. It's just kind of taking you to a familiar place. We we are in these kind of uh, idyllic suburbs outside of uh, Detroit in what feels like the 80s and 90s, but at the same time, like there's no internet, there's no cell phones, but one of the characters has what looks like an e-reader from today. So y you have this really kind of anachronistic setting, and there's also things like, I have no idea what the weather is in this movie because... People are dressed for both winter and summer at the same time. Sometimes the same outfit, they'll be wearing shorts, but like a big, thick overcoat. Um, so I'm like, what What season is it? It looks like summer. Everything's green. There's people mowing lawns, washing their cars, but then like school, like people are going to school at the same time. And I think what this is meant to do is just unsettle the viewer, really creates the this, you know, it's a little bit like in The Shining, um, how the you never get a feel for the hotel, and that's part of Kubrick disorienting the viewer. And we get that in this as well, where it's like, we what time period are we in? What when is it? And it's things also like the parents are kind of absentee; they're just kind of shadows on the wall. It's that that kind of like the Goonies movie where the kids are super active and there's parents nowhere to be found. So we we get this really fabulous setting where all this takes place. Yeah, I, one of the things I thought was really neat about the presentation, because initially it's very simple. It's almost student film. Like, it feels surprisingly unprofessional because a lot of the light is just really practical. It's a lot of daylight. 
Um, not a lot of bounce lights, like just a lot of flat looking light with the saturation turned up for a little bit of extra color to bring out the greens and the trees and stuff. But as you start to watch it, you start to realize that like a lot of the light isn't, isn't lazy. It's unmotivated. Uh, a great example. If you're watching us on live, I got one pulled up. Um, you can see in this like quick shot here of like a car in a parking lot. Uh, this is actually where uh, our our lead uh, has her first interaction with um, kind of you know, the, the the thing, the curse. We'll say uh, this is kind of the car where where things go down, and the camera pulls out from this scene uh, to this car out in this parking lot, and like there's just this like unholy light on it with no street lights. Where is this light coming from? Like, is it on a crane above? Like, I don't even know how they shot it. And this is just how it looks. And this is just the movie. And there's a ton of these. Like, just keep an eye out in some scenes. You might notice, like, they're in a, they're, you know, she'll be hiding in a closet or something. And there'll be this weird underlight coming from under. It's like, what is that? Where does that come from? And, like, it's subtle. But if you're looking for it, you'll notice it. If you're not looking for it, what it does is it accomplishes this feeling of, like, oddness and strangeness that something is not right in what you're seeing and this is super effective over the course of a whole movie when like you are looking at characters in the background who look like they might be walking straight at the screen or others who are just doing their own thing and your your lead is getting increasingly paranoid about this being that is just following them all the time that they just can never seem to escape or really get away from just fascinating like really interesting and i don't remember under the silver lake Having motivated lighting like this, I, I need to go back and revisit it because it's it's really unique, and I don't I don't know it's so subtle you almost don't notice it. I don't know anybody else doing it in the space. Uh, really really good stuff. We should talk about this curse and and kind of how that works a little bit. Yeah, d definitely. So as as we said, um, you get the curse by sleeping with someone, and it's funny because this movie was called like the S S T D ghost for a while, for a while. Um, and it's interesting because the the only way to get rid of the curse uh, is to then sleep with someone else. So it's it's kind of subversive of of the trope of usually what happens in horror movies is when the 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 horny teens make out and hook up. That's when the killer sh shows up and murders them for their their actions. And in this, it's the opposite where you have to be promiscuous <laughs> in in order to kind of uh, hope to to get rid of it. So it's really kind of playing with the these tropes and genres, but we also see the kind of other cast of characters, their feelings and emotions get wrapped in this as well, because there's different people who are interested in Jay romantically and uh, kind of how those mo motivations uh, play out. We, we meet some other characters who are more skeptical about the curse. The other thing is that we, the entity that is following them is invisible to everyone except the cursed. So there's a whole lot of people not really believing and not really seeing. And the people that can see it, uh, see it take different shapes. So you don't really ever know uh, what it is or if it's actually near you. Yeah, I think the way the rules kind of evolve over the course of the movie makes it really exciting. Because you often in a cursed movie, like most recently, I think a good one we watched was like Talk to Me. It was like a cursed object kind of film, right? You find out a little bit about the thing or the curse in this case, the thing following her. Uh, and then you find out over time how to fight back, how to run from it, and hopefully how to defeat it, right? Like that's usually what your characters are chasing in these features before they run out of some kind of set amount of time or or the curse runs its, its, its course and they are dragged to hell or whatever is to happen, right? 
Uh, this movie gives you an explosive opening of that because before the first like 16 minutes of it are very understated and very quiet. Not a whole lot happens other than a very creepy opener, which I didn't expect. Okay. Um, great opening. Great opening. Yeah, really solid. Uh, and then uh, our character is functionally kidnapped, tied to a chair, very rapidly told the rules, very quickly shown an example of how the curse works, and then whisked back home and left. It's like horrifying and traumatic and it's so interesting because so many other movies take their time or slow down or somebody like explains them. But in this, our character is like immediately tied up and forced to deal with this problem. And it's functionally how the rest of the film goes, right? Like no matter where she goes, this thing will always be pursuing her. She never knows what it'll look like, never knows how it'll arrive. Like nobody else will be able to see it. There's just no good way to deal with this thing. And even if you're hiding at home, like it'll just break a window and stroll in, you know, like it's, it's not a problem. Uh, and then once you kind of find out how it works and what it does to its victims and, and then you start to get into like the, the weird parts of the script, right? This is the stuff that feels like it comes from the director of under, under the silver lake, uh, much like how the curse is contracted. Very odd. Yeah, very easy to joke about, right? Andy said, the STD movie. I, I get it, but it's so much more than that. And it's more than that because of, I think, like the innocence of the idea. Uh, it seems like a vulgar idea that this is how this curse would be contracted, but like ultimately it's thoughtful and I don't know anybody that's done it before. Like, so I, I think it's kind of a W as far as like good horror curse ideas go. Not to mention um, the availability of scares when your creature can arrive in any shape. Right, you can kind of go anywhere with that. It could be somebody you know. It could be a complete stranger. It could be somebody tall, somebody short, somebody fat, somebody thin. Like that stuff's interesting, and like it creates a cool dynamic when she gets her friends involved to try to help her, who can't see this thing and don't really know if their friend is going crazy or not. Right, like you, you get you get some some really cool exchanges with strangers just walking across the frame. Right, that that kind of lead, leads me to the, the the scares. This is a horror movie. I always got to talk about the kind of horror it is and the scares, and it it avoids the pitfalls of jump scares. We don't have a lot of you know exactly that. Well, and while those are kind of effective, they're also cheap and they get old. In this, we just have this impending sense of of dread, where again we know something is is chasing you, but very very slowly. And so every time you hear a door open or you hear a knock, you know, is it your friend or is it the curse? Um, so there's a whole lot of that, that dread, a whole lot of having to escape. And yes, while you can outrun this thing, it's eventually going to like, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you know, you can't just like, you can't really just run for it forever. And that's part of, part of the the problem, but just this impending sense of dread and also the, the realization or the uncertainty when you think, okay, I think that is the cursed thing. Like, is it, is it really something that's walking towards me? And there's a, a number of times where we think it is and it's not, and vice vice versa. It can be very difficult uh, to tell. So it, it does really good on, on the creep factor. Yeah. I think like It Follows manages to instill this sense of kind of dread throughout the whole thing. And like for such a simple idea, it's so clever. You might have heard a version of it from the, uh, I think it started on the What the Rooster Teeth podcast, one of the guys... Talked about the the cursed snail, right? A snail that would follow you everywhere and eventually it'll get to you. And if it touches you, you die. So what do you do? You know, do you get in a plane and cross an ocean? Do you get in a car and drive as far as you can? Doesn't matter where you run. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. And like in that way, I think it follows is surprisingly unique. 
It's it's oddly like body horror too, because the way to pass on the curse is to basically find a mark and then they tell them and then they have to pass it on or else it'll come back down to you. Like you get this weird sense that like even if you pass it on, even if you get rid of it, you're never really free of it. Because like even if it gets through the next person, the one after that, eventually it follows to you, and yeah. like that it comes I think back is, up the ladder. Yeah, yeah, like you'll never really get away from the thing, and like that's really interesting. The way our character like becomes more vulnerable over the course of the film, like and is willing to engage in in, in promiscuity in order to hopefully escape that is like creepy and eerie in a way that like not a lot of movies and managed to land. Yeah, dude, it follows is really cool and really understated. And I wish I'd heard more about it when it came out. I also wanted to talk about the, uh, the score. It has this fantastic synth eighties style score that, that again, it, it helps, um, make you unsure of, of the time period it, it goes in. Cause like I said, the movie looks like an idyllic eighties neighborhood. It has that synth score, but there's also a lot of really modern things as well. But the score is one of the things that I think really helps uh, this movie work. Yeah, I agree. The score is really unique. Uh, I hate to say I'm running out of things to say about it, but and if you've got anything else, as I share away, and now's your now's your moment, your your moment in the sun. Not for it follows. Any other thoughts or recommendations? <laughs> My final piece is on um, our lead actress uh, Michael Monroe, who carries the whole film, kind of like Caitlin Deaver in what we just in the other one we watched. Um, she is in every single scene. She is the primary, she's the protagonist, final girl, essentially. Um, and she is the victim in a lot of this. And she has to carry the whole film. Like a lot of the really exciting, scary stuff is happening to her. She's kind of the anchor of the friend group. Um, this was her her breakout role. And I'm, I'm sad that she hasn't done a whole lot more. She's kind of stayed in the indie space. But she's fabulous in, in, in this yeah, I think a unique footnote for It Follows. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot of the people who are engaged with this production are doing anything much larger. <laughs> yeah. And I don't get why. Like, I, I think this is really clever. And I'm surprised, like, I don't see more people, more talent that was involved with It Follows doing more things from director to actress. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know why it didn't take off. Maybe the, the content was too taboo or it was too weird. Like... I'm not really sure, but like really unique Vindy feature. Excited to recommend it. Andy, would you recommend It Follows? Absolutely. One of my favorite horror movies of the last uh, decade, decade and a half. Uh, really changed the face of a lot of modern horror. It's creepy. It's scary. Um, it's original. It's not. It's only 100 minutes, so it goes quick. We have good performances from our main cast and crew. And uh, yeah, it it always creeps me out, but I, I love. I usually watch it one or two times a year. Highly recommend. I think I'm in the same boat. It follows as neat. I mean, especially perfect for October. Like weird and spooky, but not too weird. Uh, I think it's a really cool feature. And it came out 2014. Like I said, holds up great. I think it it it's disarming at the start. It starts off a little hard, and then you're like, okay, yeah, this is a pretty soft indie feature but like just just hang on like it, it follows we'll get there when it does i think it's totally worth your time and that's our show god episode 229 off script already already behind us i don't believe it uh what are we watching next week andy so we're taking next week off because uh there are no big film releases the big releases of course taylor swift uh the Eras tour uh, concert film that comes out uh this thursday and this weekend and we'll continue to play so 
I'm sure we'll be talking about it next time we we do the show. Uh, but our we will be back on October 24th covering Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, the long-awaited uh, epic starring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone, and a whole host of of others. Three and a half hours long. Um, we might just do that one, honestly, but we yeah. might also look at something else on, on streaming. We'll, we'll have to see. And later in the month, we're going to be taking a look at Anatomy of a Fall, which is a big Oscar contender that comes out at the end of the month, and also possibly uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, also at the end of the month. Yeah, long, long awaited and long runtime. I'm, I'm cynical about the three and a half hour runtime of Killers of the Flower Moon, but it'll be fun. Uh, we already got tickets, so we're going. It's happening. I'm excited to talk about it. I will try desperately to convince Andy to watch some other horror feature. We'll see. Uh, but yes, next week we're taking a break. Much deserved, I think, for the holiday. But if you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we said about it, follows. Maybe you disagree with us. Unknown will save you. Help us see the light, all right? Uh, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can find us at offscriptfilmreview.com where we post all our media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these are social media places you can like, comment, and follow over there on youtube big things happen on the youtube channel you gotta go check out the youtube channel when you get a chance you can leave a comment over there and of course subscribe if you're able and you can follow us on all the usual podcast channels itunes spotify google play iHeartMedia, wherever you go we are there with off-script film review excited to talk about movies so thanks for listening if you, if, you, if you listen to this one, I really appreciate it. If you listen to any others, I really appreciate it, too. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with an incredible Martin Scorsese epic. Excited to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, that's the show. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.